couple of things that you'll you'll need this morning. You'll need a Bible, you'll need a pen, and you'll need an outline. If you would like uh, one of those and you don't have them, if you could just signal the people in the back, they would be delighted to um, uh, to run them around here. So I'll go ahead on while they are distributing Bibles and pens and outlines. <clears throat> 2,000 years ago, Christianity began with one man, Jesus of Nazareth. Today, it has become the greatest movement in human history, and its influence continues to spread year by year. Uh, just this week, I, I got a... Uh, someone alerted me to a Christianity Today article that really highlights that. Um, it's called The Surprising Discovery About Those Colonist Proselytizing Missionaries. And it's fascinating. Uh, this is a guy that did his Ph.D. research on the effect of different missionaries. And what he, uh, what he determined was that those Protestant missionaries that actually emphasized conversion had an enormous effect, all out of proportion to their numbers. Uh, he traced the foundation of whole nations to their influence. There's a direct correlation between economic prosperity and the fact that these guys were there in the 1800s. There's a direct correlation between the... Uh, the quality of the educational system in those countries today and the fact of these missionaries being there. It's, it's an enormous influence. Um, and so I, I encourage you to read this. This is not just me being all warm and fuzzy about my religion. <laughs> this, this is actually what's happening in the world today and being published in major scholarly journals. So if you want to look it up, the surprising discovery about those colonist proselytizing missionaries. So the influence of Christianity continues to spread today. This fact of history seems impossible to many. We're going to look at a key factor behind that amazing growth, and that is God's wisdom. We'll be reviewing God's wisdom revealed through the church. First, God's wisdom that is... Uh, it is that all men are included. Second, God's wisdom is shown in the church's access to God. And third, God's wisdom is power through Christ. <clears throat> now, I probably went through that too quickly for you to fill in all your blanks. We'll cover it again. We'll give you a second chance. It's kind of like it kind of like coming to Christ. He'll, he'll forgive you one time and two and Maybe three and maybe 70 times seven. And uh, yeah, God is like that. So we're going to be speaking out of Ephesians chapter three. Our key verse is uh, chapter three, verse 10. So through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If you'd like to turn to <laughs> Ephesians in your Bible, you'd be welcome. I've mentioned before it's in those smaller epistles that everybody can't remember the order of. So if you just remember Gentiles eat pork chops. Yes, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And you'll be able to find it. <clears throat> so Ephesians uh, chapter 3, and we'll start right in. 
for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are all fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So God's wisdom, God's wisdom is, first of all, all men are included. This was radical. In the, uh, in the Roman world that, uh, that they were in, your religion was determined by your ancestry. And in many places, it was illegal to switch. They regarded switching religions as going over to the enemy. Yeah, uh, politics and religion had, uh, had a tie-in that in our day we can hardly conceive of. Um, and it was, it was regarded as uh, disloyalty to your family, all those kind of things. <clears throat> so the Jews had adopted very much the same attitude, even though, as you look at the Old Testament, it's clear that God wanted everyone involved. They had missed that one. Um, and, and what they thought is that that meant that everybody should become a Jew. Everybody should become Jewish. And they were really uh, aggressive in pursuing that and, in fact, had met with pretty great success. Uh, in the Roman world, uh, the, the Jews was one of the, the, the very few religions that the, the Romans kind of maybe tolerated. And you could find a Jewish quarter in many, many of the ancient cities uh, because of that. <clears throat> the Jews found this particular teaching extremely offensive. They had put a whole lot of work into helping Gentiles become Jewish. And now Paul is going around saying, okay, your long-promised Messiah has come, and the big thing about him is you don't have to become Jewish anymore. You can just put your faith in him, and, and you can come to know Christ. This has enormous implications. It, it completely subverts the whole thing that I'm better than you, my people are better than your people, you know, all those kind of things. It, it, it just has huge, huge implications. Part of, of what we see here is that this was made known by revelation. You see where Paul says that in verse 3? How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This means Paul is saying, this is not just some cool thing that I thought up. This was by special revelation. God explained this one to me. And if you remember from Paul's early years, he was a one of the strongest proponents of you've got to become a Jew around. In fact, he had gotten authorization, legal authorization, to persecute Christians in many cities around the Middle East. And he did that uh, um, aggressively. Uh, he has many early martyrs to his credit or discredit. Um, he, <laughs> so the fact that Paul got this revelation from God is truly shocking. Uh, 
Um, he's kind of the last guy you would have expected to get on board this particular train. But if you remember on the road to Damascus, the Lord himself revealed himself to Paul and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul well knew he was persecuting Christians. And he was no dummy. He got the connection. And that turned his life around. One of the, uh, one of the factors that uh, a number of, uh, of people have cited as convincing them of the truth of Christianity is that some of their key major opponents were converted. I, I really like that idea, personally. I just think it really shows God's humor. You know, he's in this contest for the souls of men, Right? And he's limiting himself to only doing it the right way. He's not willing to be sneaky, you know, all those kind of things. And Satan, you know, he kind of goes his own way. And, uh, and so God picks one of Satan's key lieutenants on earth and subverts him. I just, that just tickles my fancy. <laughs> so by revelation, God made that known. He, he, he spoke to Paul. Uh, as, as you read the rest of the scriptures, it's absolutely clear that that, that is a, a natural consequence of Christ's coming and the gospel, that it couldn't have been any other way. But yet people were blind to that. Now, in verse 3, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, this word mystery is one of those Greek words that's uh, hard to translate precisely into English. It's talking about those things uh, that were hidden, that were not well known. And clearly, God's plan to reach the world by including the Gentiles was not well known. And that's why it's, it's a mystery. And, and uh, so God has revealed it to Paul so that this hidden thing can become known. One of the interesting things about this is that as God is revealing these things, there are earlier things that God has revealed that fit into an overall picture that builds up and gives us a um, a clearer picture of the Lord. Have you ever seen one of those demonstrations where somebody is uh, drawing things on a board and they're using like um, some sort of chalk that uh, that you can't really see well? And as, as they're going along, uh, you, you wonder what in the world they're doing, and then finally they turn on the UV light, and there's the picture. Have you ever seen one of those things? Or have you ever seen uh, an, an artist that really knows his, his stuff, and he's uh, working, and as he's, as he's working, the, the picture slowly, gradually emerges? Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing when that happens. We're just really surprised. God did much the same thing in revealing himself. He didn't dump the whole truck on us at once. You know, personally, I'm grateful for that. Now, I majored in physics. I've had advanced calculus. In fact, actually, I enjoyed that stuff. I know it makes me weird. We can still be friends, I hope. Um, But here's the thing. When I first started out, you know, back when I was first in school, 
How would it have been had somebody run me through advanced calculus? That would not have been pretty. I probably would have developed an aversion to that sort of thing for the rest of my life, right? It's a good thing that God didn't dump everything on us at once. We need to be introduced to things. We need to be brought along, as it were. And so that's what God did. And there's a lot of things in Genesis that uh, where God was revealing himself to men. It was always a true revelation. It wasn't a complete revelation. And so that complete revelation happened when God sent his son Jesus. And uh, and so now we, we know what uh, the, the complete revelation that we're that we're going to get as to who God is. This shows us that God knows something about people. People need to be brought along. We need not to have the whole truck dumped on us at once. We need to we we start by by learning something and understanding that and then expanding into the next little thing. And then we understand that, and we get comfortable, and then we're brave enough to take another little step. Those of you that are in education, they probably told you this, right? Anybody in education? Oh, good. (laughs) So one of the consequences of this progressive revelation is that God does the same thing in our lives personally. Have you ever noticed that? That as you're going along in life, God shows something to you that you need to work on, and you work on that. And and that's that's encouraging, right? Okay, we're making progress here. And then he shows you something else you need to work on. And at first you're like, oh, brother. And then, all right, all right, that last one worked out. We'll work on this one too. And then, and then, and then. You know what? If God dumped the whole truck on us personally of all that we needed to change and all that we needed to become, how many of us would stand up and say, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) So what God does is what the scriptures call progressive sanctification, where he reveals himself to us. He calls on us to follow him. We get in there and we try and we fail and he forgives us and he dusts us off and we try again and and he's working on us, he's refining us, and then he shows us a little bit more that we need to work on. I, for one, am very thankful that God does things by progressive revelation. Now, of course, I would prefer instant revelation or instant sanctification, actually. That's where he just, you know, and all of a sudden I'm perfect. Why didn't he do that? I mean, I would prefer would you prefer that? If there was a little switch that you could throw from now on, you would always do the right thing. How long would it take you to get to that switch? <laughs> Why doesn't he do that? Why does God want us to go through this progressive revelation thing? <clears throat> I'll give you some ideas. I, I, I don't have any supernatural revelation as to why God does what he does, but I'll give you some ideas. One is that those things that we work for, we really appreciate. You ever notice that? And as we go through those things, and as we have to be involved in that struggle, we really own those things. Now, that struggle doesn't earn us our salvation. Not at all. 
but it really gives us that opportunity to appreciate it. Why else? Well, another thing is that if you get things instantly, um, you, uh, you actually don't understand it all that well. Uh, I remember, uh, like I said, I majored in physics, and uh, uh, I, I was a high school teacher asked me to come and, and, and show his high school class what, what I had learned, and, and I did that. And uh, unbeknownst to me, in the class they had given us, to make it simple enough for undergraduate physics majors, they had left out some details. <laughs> and I got halfway through doing this thing on the board, and all of a sudden I couldn't get to the next step. It was terribly embarrassing. I'm up there in front of the whole class, and I'm thinking, good grief, I know this stuff. I have no idea. How did they do that? And, uh, you know, we went back through it, and the, the teacher had no idea either. He was a physics major. <laughs> um, and it was just a really, really interesting experience. But because I had gotten to it the easy way, I really didn't know it. And uh, there's a number of areas of life, and each of us has this, where things are intuitive for us where we've never even thought about it, we just do it. All you have to do is get us out of our ruts, and then we discover that we really don't know it. So God puts us through things in a progressive way so that we can really learn it. So God's wisdom, it includes all men. It was by revelation. It was a hidden thing that's revealed progressively, in terms of the whole world and progressive revelation, it was uh, it's revealed personally in terms of our lives progressively in terms of our sanctification. So God's wisdom, all men included. Number two, God's wisdom shown in the church's access to God. Shown in the church's access to God. Verses... Uh, 7 through 13, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, the age, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In verse 10, it's as we read before, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities through the church. And it's that we have boldness and access in verse 12, and we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This actually is the solution to the main problem of life. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? What, you know, what is the answer to life? 
And God is the answer to life. He is the source. He's the author. He's the finisher. Um, he's, he's the real connection uh, with the, the significant, important things. Paul mentions that though he is the least of all the saints, that he was given the job of preaching this grace to the Gentiles. And um, that's encouraging to me. Um, if Paul qualified as the least of all the saints, then I'm undoubtedly the second least. <laughs> In my mind, that's even leaster, you know. Um, and to think that God takes those who are the least qualified to be the bearers of his good news. You know, that should give us all reason for real hope. That, that he who was the least was, was chosen as God's messenger of this great truth. Uh, and that he who was the least was, was called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. How lavish is God's grace? <clears throat> that, you know, um, I, I remember at one point uh, someone talking to me um, uh, about someone who was asking forgiveness, and, and they were really having difficulty with it because this person did not deserve forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm talking to them and say, okay, so how would you deserve forgiveness? Can they make up for what they've done? Can they make it as though it never happened? No, they can't. You know what? You can't make up for a deed done wrong. I mean, maybe if it cost them some money, you could pay them back the money. But you really can't make up for things. You can forgive it. Look at the word forgive. Forgive. I mean, okay, it gives you a chance to give to them. Granting forgiveness is giving. God's grace is so amazing that we could never earn it. When we take our very best efforts to God, the, the absolute apex of our performance and deliver it to God's feet, he is insulted. It's mud pies. It's garbage. Paul in, uh, in uh, Philippians talks about how all of his best efforts, that he now regards them as nothing but refuse, nothing but trash. How much big is, is and how lavish is God's grace? It's absolutely unimaginable. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to separate us from Christ. Um, it, it just very much comforts me to, to go back and read Romans 8 periodically. Anybody read that lately? What can separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives a whole list of things, and he comes to the end and says nothing. Nothing can separate us. That's about as lavish as it gets. 
You know, which part of nothing don't you understand? See, the problem is that we were blocked from God. You remember the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve rebelled against God? And then what did they do? They immediately went running to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, we're sorry we have royally screwed up. Would you please, please, please forgive us? Actually, no. What did they do? They went and hid in the bushes. (laughs) It's just hysterical. (laughs) Have you ever done the same thing? And our sin against God, it's not that, that it's impossible for him to handle. It's impossible for us to handle. It blocks us from God. We won't go to him. And so what God has done is he has chosen to overrule our sin. He's the great judge. He is the one who can pronounce judgment. He's the one whom we deserve to stand before and see his wrath revealed. One thing I'm grateful for is that if he ever showed us his wrath, it would be quick. But we would have nothing to say. You ever been in that situation where you're called to account and all of a sudden you realize, uh, actually, I have nothing to say. Guilty is charged. And that's, that's where we would be. But God is the judge who, because of his son's sacrifice, chooses to overrule the charges. The district attorney is sitting there saying, but your honor, they're guilty. And he says, I am the judge. Not guilty. You know, that pretty well resolves it. And in case your question, in case you have the question, he, there is no appeal from his ruling. So what God has done is open the door of access to him so that we have boldness and confidence in coming to him. Why, why is the church involved in this? So that through the church, the manifest wisdom, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. God in doing, in creating a perfect creation and allowing that creation to rebel against him, there are those who might question God's wisdom. If you made a perfect creation and rebelled it, allowed it to rebel against you, would you wonder about what in the world you were doing? And so God's wisdom is shown when the church is those people who now come to him. That what he has now is people who are choosing to follow him. He's not, he, what he has is not just robots. What he has is people who are giving themselves to following him. And the church becomes God's heavenly witness. In this great court of heaven, what we stand stand as is the primary exhibit. And God turns to the great heavenly court and says, see, here's why I did it. And he points to you and me. 
I, I, I have, I can't stand that. I don't have a choice. I wouldn't have forgiven me, but he did. And he's got us there as the evidence. The evidence of his great wisdom is that he brought us through. You know, and it might make sense if this was plan B. It might make sense if we had screwed things up royally and that this was plan B. And according to what it says in this passage, in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was his eternal purpose. It was not a mistake. It was not something unforeseen. It was what he decided from the very beginning, that you and I would be raised up to be the, to, to be the prime exhibit of his wisdom. So the crazy thing is that he wants us to access him boldly because when we do so, it shows that his plan worked. It shows that he knew what he was doing all along, that we're testifying to that. So God's wisdom was that all men are included. Secondly, God's wisdom is shown in the church's access to God. And third, God's wisdom is power through Christ. It's fascinating what Paul prays in this in these last verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He prays for the strength to comprehend. Now, is that how you would have phrased it? I would have phrased it for the wisdom to comprehend, or the smarts, or... How about just subtract some dumbness? He prays for the strength. And it's not that we lack the intelligence to understand. That's not the problem. The problem is that we lack the strength for it. God's wisdom is just too great, too big, that it challenges our ability to hang on. He calls us to exercise faith, to believe what he says. And it can be really, really tough to do that. And it really is a matter of strength, not physical strength, not deep grit determination, but just that hanging on to God, clinging to him and to his grace. 
not letting him go. Remember when um, uh, when when Jacob was at at uh, Peniel, and uh, he had sent all of his family ahead of him, and he wrestled with the angel of the Lord into the night. And of course, we realized that this was God appearing to him. And finally, the the Lord utterly defeated him. They wrestled, and the Lord defeated him, and Jacob was reduced to just hanging on. And that's that's where we are. And that's what we need to do, is just hang on. Because it's God that's going to do the work. And we need to hang on to see his great deliverance. So the strength to comprehend. And then he talks about what it is that we're supposed to comprehend. In verse 19, And to know the love well, I should read 18 again as, as well. And to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. <clears throat> so right right at the beginning here, he's, he's saying, okay, now I know that this is beyond your ability to know. But I'm going to pray that God will give you the strength that you can know it. the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then the final thing that he's asking for is that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, I'm not sure what exactly he means by this, but if he means what he says he's saying, what he's actually saying, okay, now how big is God? Okay, he's pretty big. How much does God know? Yeah, he knows a lot. (laughs) And what he wants to do is to fill you with all of that. Okay, I think I understand why he's praying strength for us. We're like that balloon that just got, you know, (laughs) tied into the high-pressure line. And that balloon is going to need some strength. So God's wisdom is to give us power through Christ and Paul prays for strength for us to hold on as through this process of knowing the love that's beyond all knowing and being filled with God's fullness. You know, one of the things that I would say to this is that it's absolutely impossible that Paul's dreaming if it weren't for the fact that God already did the impossible in sending Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him. So, okay, that was impossible. What's another one? Might as well do two impossibilities. So God's wisdom, all men are included. It's shown in the church's access to God. And it's our power through Christ. We've been looking at God's wisdom revealed through the church. How God faced with the unthinkable, the rebellion of his perfect creation, implemented a hidden plan to win his creation back. He included all men. He included not just good men or noble men. He included all men, including sinners like us. The success of his plan is shown 
by the church's access to God himself. He continues that plan today by strengthening us to know the unknowable. He's pouring the vastness of Christ's love into each of us. He's even pouring the fullness of himself into each of us. Yeah, you probably wanted a full life, didn't you? In the, uh, on the other side of your outline are some questions that we're going to be talking about in, in the small group. <clears throat> My problem, and I'm assuming that for most of you, you have a similar problem, is that in spite of God opening the way for men, that sometimes we are still blocked from God. And that in everyday life, we are often blocked from God. (laughs) I have an idea that the blockage is on this end. And so one of the things I would encourage you to talk about in the small groups is what can we do to alleviate that blockage so that our access to God is as free and unfettered, as, as confident as he himself would like for it to be. His goal is to give us that access. He continues his plan today by strengthening us to know the unknowable. He's pouring the vastness of Christ's love into each of us. He's pouring even the fullness of himself into each of us. Let's pray for God's strength. <clears throat>